the show you need to get what you desire by avoiding the mistakes made by others before you. Learn the stories and journeys of what success looks like to find the freedom you deserve while thriving with your best life. And now I present to you the one, the only Rapid Results with Andrew Wise. Ladies and gentlemen, welcome back to another episode of Rapid Results with Andrew Weiss. We have one of my most heartfelt friends and inspiring people that will ever come on this show today, David Osk. And in case you're wondering, why would I bring on this guy named David? It's because David is an inventor and a passionate creative at heart who loves ideas and people most of all. He likes to build products and love and inspire people to think better, not bigger. He believes that ideas matter, dreams matter, desire matters, relationships matter, and knowing what's important to you matters. Anchoring to what's most important is recipe for his beautiful life. He loves to sing and, in fact, has recorded a few records. When he sings, his goal is to give people's goosebumps goosebumps. And on top of all that, he's gotten his product stat guard into both Home Depot and Lowe's, but we'll, of course, go into that. Get ready for another epic episode, ladies and gentlemen. David, we want to ask you, what's the biggest, most badass professional accomplishment you're most proud of? You know what? I'll tee it up this way. There's actually, I got to sing at a place that I can't even say because they made me sign a non-disclosure agreement. What I'll do is I'll just say it this way. I'd rather sing there than the White House. So that was really cool. Obviously, we live in a country where there's so much opportunity. And of course, having a product in 3,000 retail stores is a complete kind of a pipe dream to me. And so I'm absolutely grateful to have really gotten to that place at the same time with a lot of help. And so I need to say that for sure. So I'm just, again, land of opportunity, a lot of people helping me along the way and just super grateful. Yeah. For today, we have a few topics to talk about of coaching, of singing, of getting your products into 3000 stores. Let's talk about that first. I'm sure it's one of the things that's most top of mind. I'm sure a lot of people listening are going, well, I want to get my product into 3,000 stores. So let's rewind. Like, Tell us about that day when you're like, oh, here's an invention I have. And tell us more about the highlights of that journey, the highs and lows. Love to hear that process. Man, I tell you what. So, you know, it's the 11-year overnight success. You know, <laughs> yeah. So my product currently in, in Home Depot and Lowe's is called the Stat Guard Plus. You know, it's the name we trademarked. It's a thermostat guard, which just helps people from jacking around with the temperature in your, whether it's an office or restaurant or some, usually a commercial setting. There's people that use them in their homes, especially when they've got kids that are causing a $900 power bill or something crazy. So actually, the idea was actually my brother-in-law's, and he and I kind of ran with it. Um, for a few years, he's a very successful builder and uh, ended up buying the company from him a few years back and just kept working at it. It's one of those stories, I think, like a lot of entrepreneurs, right? You know, you have a great idea, but there's a big difference between, of course, having a great idea and then bringing a product to market, let alone having a profitable business. Even if you have a great business doesn't mean that there's necessarily profit to be had. So it was really a glorified hobby for several years until we started making some, you know, getting some larger accounts in retail and so on. What's kind of fun is this next year. So we, we launched in, in Home Depot. Let me, uh, I guess it's been about five years now. And then we just got into the low stores earlier this year, which is, Ooh, you know, super, yeah, back in March, I think it was, or April. 
and you know, super exciting. So Home Depot has a, a version, Lowe's has a different version, and um, are actually coming out with a new version in January, uh, two new versions under the Lockbox name, Lockbox Pro name. So really excited about that. But it's it's so funny as an entrepreneur and someone who is swinging for the fence, trying to do big and wonderful things to have an accomplishment like that. You know, it feels just honestly, just incredible. I'm so grateful. But boy, I would be remiss not to talk about the 11 year journey. There's so many ups and downs. I remember when we started, you know, it's how do you bring a product like this to market? So we learned everything from prototyping, 3D printing, modeling, plastics injection molding. And then, well, what about sourcing? How do you get a product, you know, the cost down where you can actually compete with billion dollar companies that are in your space? Yeah. So we went to different countries and sourced it because we had to. We couldn't get it made here in the States cheap enough to even bring it to market for that matter, let alone compete. So we learned a lot. This last 11 years, is I feel like I've earned my MBA in uh, a whole lot of different areas. And of course, you know, you mentioned at the outset, and thank you for your kind introduction. Of course. This journey not only has been kind of a process of discovery and learning and growth in business, but honestly, I think even more so a growth and discovery in upper limit challenges and yeah. smashing fear and understanding myself on a better level self-awareness, and just some really bedrock ways in order to move my entire life forward in a, a meaningful and good, you know, with a capital G way. So, yeah. Yeah. So like you said, 11 years for overnight success. It's funny how that works. Nowadays, they say success is 90 to 95% mindset, 5 to 10% skill. And I'm curious, yeah, in, in your journey, if you could look back on it, Maybe there isn't the right answer, but if there is a way you could make those 11 years shorter than 11 years, how would you go about it? Yeah, you know, I remember, of course, the first five or six, just a lot of frustrations. And so I think part of it, really, the the way to shorten that up is twofold. It's self-awareness, it's understanding where I have gaps, emotionally, intellectually, that kind of stuff. But then also, I really, you know, things started to get really good when I was very intentional around surrounding myself with people who, you know, were just better at certain things than me. Mm. And, you know, who have a a growth mindset as opposed to a fixed mindset. You know, when you start hanging out with people who might have a broader life experience, you know, you start to catch things, you start to hear things, some of them very implicit, but then some of them you're like, you realize a few months into knowing this person, you're catching this whole caught versus taught thing. You're catching so much more than you're actually being taught on the way that they say things, their phraseology, the way they view themselves, the way they view obstacles, the way that they view other people, the way they view opportunities, and the way they view fear. It's really fascinating to, you know, the caught versus taught thing. So I think that self-awareness, but then hanging out with the right crowd, you know, that can help you personally and professionally. And with that said, by the way, and Andrew, you know this, quite often people will say, well, you've got business and personal. And I don't think they're separated. I think everything is personal. In order for us to to move forward, move a product forward and all that kind of stuff. Well, if you've got a great idea, if you need money, you bring on some venture capital, give a little bit of your company away, whatever you need to do, right, to to fund it. That's one thing. But there is a, you know, our mutual friend, Scott Smith, he said that the heaviest item in anybody's office is the telephone. 
It's mm. hard to pick up that phone mm -hmm. and to make a call. Why? Because we're afraid we're going to hear some information we don't want to hear, rejection, all that kind of stuff. So part of that growth, right, is getting over those obstacles. It's getting, I mean, I don't care if it's over, around, or through, but to get to that other side, oh man, you can't do it on your own. I love that you bring that up. Uh, I actually just finished the book, How to Get Rich by Felix Dennis. He was okay. uh, Britain's one of the world's wealthiest entrepreneurs. He's uh, led the Maxime magazine, which I'm sure everyone's heard of. He made hundreds of millions of dollars throughout his years. And he keeps saying again and again, like the more you can hire people and assign yourself to people who are smarter than you, the more successful yeah. you'll be. And he goes, yeah. who do you think built the pyramids, the pharaohs or the engineers? <laughs> it it's a fascinating headspace shift to understand that, you know, I'm the CEO of David Osk Inc., right? My company's mm -hmm. name is Quorum Global, right? But at the same time, it's really, you know, I'm the CEO of, of what's happening externally, internally, that kind of thing. You know, the, the book, Who Not How, right? It kind of speaks yeah. to speaks to that. So I think one of the best things that I've learned is, again, it's every day is you know, a challenge and I'm still still learning so much every day. It's not how. Get the right who in the right seat on the bus. And it's amazing what you can do, right? You activate someone else's strengths and get behind that and pour steam on, on them, right? Oh my gosh, it's amazing what, you know, what can happen. How do you balance Asking for help versus going, you know what, I just got to hunker down and figure this out on my own. That's a really good question. Part of that, the first thing I thought of when you said that is, you know, financially, early on in my company, I didn't have money to hire anybody. I had to look in the mirror and say, you know what, I remember when we were onboarding with Home Depot first, that onboarding process is not easy. I mean, there, there are questions that they're asking and stuff that I had no idea how to even answer. Mm -hmm. So there, part of there was a lot of insecurity and in just sitting in front of the computer and waiting through several month process to get onboarded. And I didn't have anybody to hire. Right. And sometimes I actually would ask my wife, I'm like, hey, I'm getting kind of overwhelmed here. I'm feeling like I'm just I don't have what it takes. Would you just sit with me? And she, <laughs> wow. And yeah. she'd come up there. Yeah. You know, what, what are you doing? You know, to me that business was my baby, right? I'm birthing yeah. something that's this precious idea to me. And I've got all the hopes in the world. So there's so much emotion tied to it. And as a solopreneur, right, an entrepreneur is working by myself. A lot of times I'm like, I need to just borrow some courage from somebody. Mm, and of course, I've got yeah. a really awesome wife. And she's like, I got your back, buddy. Yeah, come on, let's do this. So sometimes the obstacle, right, is it's right here. And if you don't have money to go hire an accountant or a controller or somebody to get you through those weeds, find a way. Okay, let me tap the brakes there one second. So I do some coaching, right? And we always say coach to the gap. You know, where's the gap? Mm -hmm. Okay, you say you're here and you want to go over here. Why aren't you there already, right? So where's the gap here? What's missing? But guess what's interesting is sometimes we don't know where the gap is in our own lives. And it really helps to have a coach. I've got three coaches. It's amazing to have someone else from the outside looking in, reading my label, if I let them, right? Sometimes it's yeah. kind of scary. Yeah. But, but it's it takes courage to be vulnerable and to have someone else say, you know, David, I wonder if there's a gap right here. What do you think of that? And if there is, you know, what do you want to do about it? And so I think that quite often, you know, especially early on in an in adventure or which is usually an adventure. You know, it's where are the gaps? You know, okay, 
I may not have resources, but I am incredibly resourceful. And um, again, where's the gap? What do you have in your tool belt? Who do you need? What do you need in order to at least take that next step, even if it's just a micro step? Well, that's interesting, too, that I think people forget about that sometimes. There's a story I love about how in Oregon, there was a truck that had hit a bridge and the truck was squished in between the bridge and the pavement, essentially. And all these world's top engineers couldn't figure out how to get it out. Like, what do we do if they're soft, the truck? Do we have to blow up the bridge? What do we got to do? And this like engineer who was working on the product or the project, he was asking his six-year-old son, like, what do you think? Or something like that. And the kid goes, why don't you just deflate the tires? (laughs) And everyone's like, oh, yeah. (laughs) That's awesome. And I say that story because, you know, I I like what you mentioned with your wife, like your wife might not be an accountant, she might not be a marketing expert, she might not be this or that. But sometimes you just need a different kind of encouragement to help overcome your next next obstacle. And she might have unique perspective that no one else could provide and hopefully you didn't have to pay her hundreds of thousands of dollars for it. (laughs) Well, Well. it's it's a funny thing too, because as a man, right, I want to be the man. And of course, I yeah. Well, I don't want to need anything. I don't want to. I don't want to have to appear needy or even feel needy, right? Who wants to feel like they need something, let alone needy? As I'm growing, honestly, in my maturity, you know, at 48 years old, I'm realizing that it takes a lot more courage to name the gap, just to say it and be like, you know what? I'm feeling scared. Whatever that awkward thing is, I'm feeling. I want to make all these calls, but what if they say no, you know, that kind of thing. But then also it's saying that to the right person, right? It's saying that to a trusted board of advisors. It's saying that to a a band of brothers, if you will, people who you know, who've got your back and they're going to say things that are true to you and remind you whose you are and who you are. And man, I can't tell you how many times I've mustered up the courage just to say those vulnerable things. And then I've got somebody looking at me and just being like, David Osk, let me remind you who you are and the impact that you have on people. You don't need to be afraid right now. And I'm like, okay, thanks for saying that. And they get you through that, you know, that obstacle and get you over that, uh, get you over the hump. I love that. It's just kind of like I hear Mufasa's voice going, remember who you are. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> just like, and like, we're all the kings of our own little mental and physical and and our own little universal kingdom, essentially, and just reminding ourselves of that. And that uh, makes me want to ask the next question. When you look back at those 11 years, were there any patterns that you noticed of like, here's where things were super stagnant or getting worse. And here's the environment or situation or here's once I put a note card on a paper every day and read that, that's when things only got better from there. Were there any patterns you can think about over the years that worked and didn't work? Um, holy moly. I don't know if I have a, a real great answer for that. Something that's been kind of rising to the surface lately, honestly, is stillness. I'm one who is, and I think a lot of people are, right? When when you have this sense that you need to move the needle, you need to take ground, something needs to happen. You're like, well, I need to be doing something, literally physically doing something. And quite often, just the opposite is true. Your mind is so filled with just whatever, that you don't really have clarity on what is actually important, you know, a priority of things. So even as of late, I think that tapping the brakes and being willing to be still, that's one of the hardest things, if not the hardest thing for me to do. Mm. And just to get clarity on 
you know, what's really important here. And I think that's uh, really stands out front and center here lately anyway. And just to clarify, when you say be still, you, you mean it's kind of like fishing in a way. Like you can't just sit in your room and just twiddle your thumbs all day. Just like sometimes you just have to, all you can do is just cast your bait, cast your net, and then let things happen. Is that what you're saying essentially? You know, so as a Christian, I'll kind of frame it in this way. There's a big difference between waiting and patience, right? We can mm-hmm. wait, but waiting patiently, that means you're trusting that means, you know, the casting the net thing, I'll grab onto that, right? That means when I understand whose I am, that the God who made me, right? The author who made me, he's really crazy about me. And he knows what I need when I need it. And at 48 mm-hmm. years old, I'll be honest, I can't deny that. In my early 20s, I didn't have the luxury of looking back very far. But now I look back and I can't deny the fact that the story was being written so many times when I didn't realize it. So my stillness is really about trust. There's a, a virtuous patience involved as opposed to I'm going to be still and meditate and ohm or whatever that is and try not to feel my feelings. No, 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 no. I want to have the courage to feel every bit of that crap and yet have an abidingness that I know that what's on the other side of that discomfort is good with a capital G. Because again, my belief is, is that he has plans to prosper me and to do good to me. And when I am fearful, it's because I'm acting like an orphan. I'm a man without a father. I'm I'm a man without a guide. And I'm on my own. And I'll be honest, I don't believe that one bit. But there's a major headwind in this world, in this life, that wants me to believe that. And that causes me to make decisions that are less than. That are based in fear and not faith. And that's not to put a kitschy spin on it, right? There's a whole lot of, in this life that I cannot tie a nice bow on. But mm-hmm. again, at 48 years old, I look back and I'm like, okay, I can't deny the fact that there's another story going on that I'm woven into. And that when I am still, again, the patience, the virtue of patience there, there's a strength that returns to me as opposed to when I'm anxious and I you know, just start doing random activities to try to make something happen. Clarity, courage, perspective, return when I'm intentional about trusting that the future is actually awaiting me, right? It's good. So I hope that answers the question, right? That's my experience anyway. So when you're talking about patience versus waiting, and you mentioned meditation, and obviously, I'm sure you you pray all the time. In your opinion, what is the difference between meditation and prayer? Or do you combine that into one when you're in those moments of your journey where you're like, I don't know what's going to happen next, but I just got to trust the process, essentially. So I I need to say, right, there's probably people who have a much different perspective and maybe a better and deeper perspective on this than I do. So when I think of the word meditate, just in general, I think of, and I'm with my full intellect and heart concentrating on something where I think some people might say, I'm going to let my mind go blank and kind of escape from all of this. And to me, I think that I want to be present. I want to have the courage to look at what is and not run from it, period. I think I've made some of the biggest mistakes in my life trying to run from my emotions or escape them and and compensate in really crazy ways for those things. And so prayer for me and meditation are very linked, right? I'm actually tethering to something that is outside of myself. I truly believe that God is at work, uh, not only for me, but in me and through me. So for me, it's more of a 
kind of a surrender in my, the things that I hold really tight to, the things that I really want, because what I think he has for me is better. And quite often I've, I've seen that. There's been so many things, by the way, Andrew, that I have sought after with all of my heart that I have wanted so deeply and I didn't get them. And now I look back and I'm like, <laughs> I'm so glad. In, in some cases would have been just catastrophic. I look at my life right now and the things that I'm praying for, quite often I'm quite specific. What I do is I say, may, you know, may it please you to grant these things. You know, not my will, but yours. I really, you know, what he has for me because it's better. Because a lot of times my thinking is poor, my wisdom is poor, and I want to anchor and tether to what what I think is a wiser person than I am. So, And what is uh, an example of one of those things where if you had gotten, it would have been catastrophic. I'm very, very curious about some examples of that. <laughs> well, so honestly, this is a, that's a very vulnerable question. I'll go there with you. So I moved to Nashville to do music. And so early on in my teens and early twenties and so on, especially God gave me a, a really great instrument. And I, I so enjoy music and so enjoy singing. Funny thing is, is early on in my life, I was looking to become someone. I was desperately searching to become somebody or at least not be a nobody. I wanted to be someone that people admired and I wanted to be the hero and I wanted to be successful and all those things. Those aren't bad things, right? But I was searching for those things and looking to those things for my identity, as opposed to understanding this is who I am. These are the convictions that I stand on. This is the impact that I want to have so that when I enter a room or a space or a concert, I'm not looking for anything. I'm not searching for their approval. I'm actually showing up to give the full weight of who I am to have the David Osk uniquely shaped impact, right? You know, the dent in the universe thing, as opposed to this big question mark of identity. By the way, I've just realized this, like this has been a light bulb moment for me. So I look back and I think, what if I was granted money and fame with that headspace, with a honestly a black hole of neediness looking for everyone else's approval around me? I'm not sure if you can relate to that, but I, I look back and I think, man, I was so afraid, so scared, so just desperate to become somebody. And I think that if I were to have been given fame and money, then it would have wrecked me. Interesting. And so my story, though, which is really cool, again, a lot of years of kind of disillusionment and feeling like I was a failure, what God has done in my 40s has allowed me to sing, like I said, you know, on the beginning of our conversation on some stages that I'll be honest, growing up, I remember thinking, boy, it would be really neat to sing at Carnegie Hall. It would be really neat to sing, you know, at X, Y, and Z, that kind of thing. He has given me the gift by no doing of my own to sing on some stages that I can't even talk about. I would have never dreamt about standing in front of these people and in, on these places. Well, well, why is that a blessing now? Because I show up in those spaces knowing full well the impact that I want to have on those people. I'm not looking to them for anything. I don't need them anymore. I desperately wanted the applause of people. And I'll be honest, I don't know if I would have even known intellectually understood that back then, but I, I see now that I was, I really wanted that. I was looking for identity as opposed to knowing, right? Authenticity comes from the word author, knowing what's been authored in me. I didn't create myself. I didn't choose my eye color, my taste buds, or my personality. 
And those of us who have children, we understand that kids come out of the gate very hardwired. My brother, <laughs> yeah. my brother and sister and I, we are so different. How does that help us to understand that? That means, well, I didn't create me. So when I was created, what's the gold that was placed in me? So when we identify those things, you know, the word identity, right? And I start acting in alignment with the truest part of myself, the most unique, precious, powerful, courageous version of myself. What happens? The question mark disappears and I get to show up in spaces, whether it's with you or my kids or anybody at the gas station. Not that I have to, right? But I can have an impact that is very meaningful and powerful. And what's cool about it is, is when I act in those ways, it's like clean fuel. It feels great to see the virtuous impact that I have on somebody else. And it reinforces my unique identity and it makes me want to be more of me. So to tie a nice bow on your question there, I really feel like looking back, if I would have gotten what I so desperately wanted, that would have been a real train wreck. But now I've actually gotten all of it and more. The fact that I, I really can't talk about the stages that I've sung on, that actually is a benefit to me right? Because I can't even brag about it. It's like, I can't tell you, but it's, it's just amazing that I still got to do those things. And again, it's not like I called them and asked. They found out about me and called me. You know, again, at 48, I look back and I'm like, you know, God, you're writing a story that I couldn't possibly write. And it gives me hope for the second half of my life, not to think bigger, but just think better. Bigger sometimes is a noose around our necks, right? But better is better. I have some ideas on what better looks like, and I'm going to go after it, right? I've got a vision for the future, but my hands are open now. I'm trusting that if I need to course correct, man, he's going to lead me there. That's so fascinating. And I think it kind of reminds me of a story of Tim McGraw. Was he the one who started off as a a bouncer at a club and then an agent discovered him? And now now obviously he's one of the top. I don't know. That's a a story I don't know. Okay. It might be Tim McGraw. It might be someone else. But yeah, that's just so fascinating because I mean, it sounds like you pursued this. And when you talk about, you know, being fame and have all this money comes to you, that, that was as a musician, right? Like purely as a musician, yeah. <laughs> like, and something you went after for 18 plus 20 years, even, and yeah. even 30 years. And so that's just yeah. so crazy that, you know, you thought this is my door, this is my door, this is going to happen. And then all of a sudden it takes a little brother-in-law to say, hey, check out this company. And then you buy it. And now that you have this very successful company, you're, now you're able to bring in all the musical fame and wealth you always wanted to, it sounds like. So it's interesting. I started my first company when I was 16. And mm-hmm. it, so it, what's interesting too is I feel like I've been probably more of an entrepreneur than I am a musician. It's a funny thing. I, our mutual friend, David Ash, he looked at me one time and he said, you don't sing because you like music. He goes, you sing because you like inspirational moments. Mm. And I Mm -hmm. think he's right. Because it's a funny thing. I don't really go to concerts. I don't listen to a lot of music. I just happen to be, you know, someone who can carry a tune and I hope really well, but I love the moments of those goosebumps, right? I love the moments that you stand up and I'm actually doing a concert down in Franklin on Saturday. And I love the moments. I can't wait to stand up there and sing songs that are absolutely stunning and cause people to look up, right? Cause people to look within, cause people to remember that there's way more going on in this life than paying the bills and putting kids to bed and sickness and things. There's an epic story that's unfolding here that we all get to be a part of. And music is that language that reminds everybody, okay, 
hold on. All right, there's more going on here. It's a universal language that causes us to just to look up a little bit. That is interesting too, is it's kind of like, you know, going back to listening to your intuition, you know, you sounds like you did always have this guiding hand, like, hey, David, have you thought about being an entrepreneur? Have you thought about being an entrepreneur? And like most of the time, you're like, ah, no, it's okay. I'm going to be a musician. <laughs> yeah. And then uh, was there any skill sets you learned as a musician that you were able to apply when you were getting your product created, made, and then into Home Depot and, and Lowe's, essentially? You know, I think that just being genuine is where it's at. You know, there's so many times, especially when you're younger and you're talking to older people who are more experienced, you're like, man, I don't, I don't want to come across like I don't know anything or, you know, that kind of thing. And I think that people are so drawn to people who are genuine. In fact, some of the best relationships that I have built with people are when I'm, I'll be like, oh man, you know, they'll ask me a question. I'm like, you know what? I don't even understand what that even means. You know, and just be really transparent. Can you explain more of that to me? People are in general generous. I mean, I think people love to help other people. And I think when you're genuine, whether it's on stage, talking to a, a group of people or a crowd or whatever it is, I think that sincerity is just is everything as opposed to, hey, look at me, I'm cool. And you're kind of posturing that kind of stuff. So even with some of the higher level meetings that I've had in business with multi-billion dollar companies, I usually approach those in the same way. I remember I was sitting in a meeting one time, they were talking about markup versus margin. I'll be honest, of course, I knew those terms, but I kind of thought they were the same thing. <laughs> and of course, yeah. mar mar margin is not markup. Mm -hmm. And so they're talking percentages, that kind of thing. And the, the president of this company in front of the whole, in the boardroom, in front of 10 other people in that boardroom looked at me and said, you know, David, you know that margin is not the same thing as markup, right? And I, I smiled a little bit and I'm like, I said, I think I do, but you know, can you explain that just briefly to me? I think I kind of understood it, but at the same time, I'm so glad that I, I had the, the wherewithal and the courage to not be like, yeah, man, I, I got it. You know, like trying, to, <laughs> yeah. trying to act like there's. But a lot of this was so new. And honestly, sitting in that room, it was a big company down in Atlanta. But sitting in that room, I was nervous. I'm like, I'm the lone dude talking about my baby, my product with this group of seasoned people in, in business. And it was painfully obvious that I didn't know a whole lot. But at the same time, man, I, I tell you, I think they really appreciated the fact that I didn't try to posture. Yeah. And so when you tell that story of being in a room with 10 people at that point, is that your own personal board of advisors, or those Home Depot people? Tell us more about that moment. Yeah, that was actually a, a company that they're a master distributor. I don't, mm -hmm. I'm not going to use their name here, but they're a master distributor for HVAC supply houses all over the country. They rep hundreds, maybe thousands of products. Yeah, I'm sure it's thousands. What I've learned too is being an entrepreneur is like a plane taking off where it's just so difficult to get off the ground and make some money, get some profit, know the heck what you're doing. Yeah. As you go more into the sky, you're able to basically coast more. Um, tell us more about what it took to get that first domino to get that conversation with the Home Depot or Lowe's person, get your foot in the door to then eventually, of course, being 3000 stores worldwide or nationwide, I should say. Yeah. So it's a funny thing. I, I have kind of a, you know, an MO in life, right? Like a lot of people go big or go home. And so for a long time, I'm like, well, what's the dream here? Like if we could land anybody, who would it be? And of course I'm thinking Home Depot and Lowe's. And of course we've got 
7,000 stat guards sitting in a garage. And that's it. <laughs> yeah. We don't have a business. We have a bunch of inventory that's just sitting there. And like, what are we going to do with all this? And um, I actually called a friend of my dad's, one of the more successful people that I knew in business and said, here's where I'm at. What would you do? You know, just started trying to put the puzzle pieces into the mosaic there. And he actually connected me with a friend of his. And that guy had three products on the shelf. Wow. And Mm -hmm. what's fascinating is, is, you know, a lot of these major retailers, you can't call them. They have a phone number, but it says, if you know your party's extension, dial it now. Mm -hmm. And okay, what, you know, is it a three digit, four digit? I mean, who are you going to talk to? There's not a receptionist at Home Depot. Yeah. And, And if you want to be a potential vendor, you go on their website, click vendors, and you start filling out a litany of, of information and financials and all kinds of stuff. It's, they don't care if you have a great product. They want to know if you can deliver that great product consistently for years to come. So they don't have egg on their face when they put it on the, on their shelf. And then you run out of product because you didn't know how to run a business. So the, the vetting process there is is unbelievably you know extensive. But here's the funny thing. You can't even get the meeting unless you have a legitimate business. So, you know, so here I am, right? We've got all these products sitting in a garage and I'm just praying. I'm like, you know, God, hey, I think this idea is a great idea. And I think you kind of inspired it. And would you help me kind of make that next step? So the fact that I happened to call my dad's friend in Minnesota who knows a guy loosely, and he happens to have three products on the shelf, he called me back and he said, well, hey, I'm going there for a meeting in two weeks. He said, send me a few units and I'll just show it to him. So he walked it into the door to the buyer. Wow. I mean, are you mm-hmm. kidding me? Yeah. It's, it's like, you know, who gets that opportunity? I do. <laughs> I like that. And, and that's yeah. why I cannot deny the fact that God is writing a story here. that's extraordinary. And my life is filled with moments like that. I can't explain it. I take no credit for it. I'm just grateful. And to see where a college dropout and somebody who's battled all types of insecurity, to see where I'm at right now, it's just better in every way than I ever thought it could be. You know, there's a lot of days I'm like, well, I sure would love the credit for all this. Like, well, I, I made it happen, that kind of stuff. I think the only the only thing that I might be able to take credit for on some level, if you will, is I didn't give up. From the time we started until the time it you know started generating enough revenue where I was like, okay, we actually have a business and not a hobby. You know, it was, was that six years and I didn't give up. There were so many days I wanted to, right? I'm like, ah, I'm going to sell these stinking things for a buck a piece and move on. But for some reason, I couldn't give up. I can't explain that either. And I am grateful. I, by the way, I heard uh, someone on, on Facebook the other day. I think it was Gary Vaynerchuk or somebody like that. And his number one advice, I'm not sure if it was him or not anyway, was, was don't give up. How cliche is that? Never, ever, 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 ever give up. Yeah. That kind of thing. I'll be honest. I think that quite often, you know, that book, right? Three feet from gold. I think sometimes we're three feet from gold and we quit. Whether that's in marriage, whether that's in a friendship, whether that's in business, health, we get to that point where we're just like, I got nothing left in the tank. I'm out of here. Where if we would just relax a little bit, get the right people around us to loan us a little bit of courage, it'll get us around the corner where we see a little bit of light and we, we keep walking toward that light. So anyway, I think the never giving up thing is really important. Yeah, and I love that too. And just and I didn't know that you had bought, you said it was 7,000 products and inventory. Yeah, roughly. <laughs> so... Because most people, they teach you nowadays, you have to get the demand first before you file the products. And it sounds like oh, yeah. 
you were praying, you just buy the products and things will work out from there. <laughs> I, I did that with records and everything, right? If you build it, they will come. You do what you think is right and you, you know, just start rolling. And I, boy, I've made a ton of mistakes with that, you know, just lower level thinking, complete ignorance. I just didn't know. I was saying, so it sounds like, yeah, you wouldn't do it again because it's not like the Home Depot guy has to go to you and say, show me your warehouse where the products are ready to go right now. Like it's obviously, you just need to know how to produce it. You actually have to produce them first, right? I think some situations are different. I think sometimes depending on, they're going to want to say, how many do you have right now? I actually talked to a guy last week who has a really great idea, but he wants to start his business based on his first big purchase order. They're not willing to do that. They looked him square in the eye and said, we're not in the business of building your business on our purchase orders. And I kind of get that. I think there's a maybe a little bit of an insecurity in that potential buyer to be like, man, does this guy have what it takes you know, to fulfill orders? So what felt really good, of course, when we got into initially homedepot.com, like, do you have inventory for this? I'm like, heck yeah, we've got inventory. I got 7,000 <laughs> units sitting here. Yeah. You know, let's roll. Just felt good to say that. But I think every situation is a little bit different. That's good to know because, yeah, like I said, like that's the most unfortunate thing people believe nowadays. If you build it, they will come. But that's not always the case. But yeah, yeah. to know it, it sometimes still can be the case, essentially. And Dr. Benjamin Hardy, who wrote that book, Who Not How, talks about the number one trait of successful entrepreneurs is the point of no return, where you make a decision or a purchase where like you can't go back even if you want to. And so like, yes, you could have, quote unquote, given up on that 7,000 inventory, but you're like, it's right there. I'm so close. <laughs> well, and I, re- and I remember I was at a point too, when we sold through those and then I had to order more, right? And you've got to order a container at a time. And we're talking tens of thousands of dollars. And I remember even talking to my, my in-laws and different friends. I'm like, God, I'm so afraid to invest that amount of money when you know, the volume of sales is not real high right now. So to see the ROI might be a while. And of course, I had some wiser counsel, you know, speaking to my life and give me a little courage and wisdom around that to keep going. So I, I think not giving up has to be coupled with surrounding yourself with wise people. So you did end up buying tens of thousands at a time, even after the 7,000 without knowing when the ROI would happen. I did. Yeah. The second order was a kind of a scary one. And here's a funny thing too, is the initial company we ordered from went out of business. So I actually had to invest in creating new molds, you know, which was another 15 grand. Wow. And, um, you know, into that initial order too. So it was a little scarier even then on the second time around. And that's actually after I had bought the company as well. So I was really a solopreneur at that point. And um, yeah, it was a definitely some scary seasons to get through. Interesting. So for inspiration sake and, and telling us more about the three feet from gold, what was the journey of sales? And did you have to like start investing in the marketing personally to talk with marketing teams to help sales go up? What was that journey of sales over the 11 year journey, I suppose? Yeah. Well, it's funny because like in, I think it was the end of 16, we got, you know, Home Depot and then, you know, .com and then landed on the shelf and we, we started growing. Well, it takes a while for sales to kind of start ramping up. And once again, though, right, I'm in territory that I've never been in. So what does marketing look like on that level? So, you know, it's a completely new space. So we hired some people to help. I started doing some of the stuff on my own. And then we went through this whole thing of hiring people that just didn't do anything. It was a bunch of talk and no action. So then I'm spending money on marketing that is just a complete waste. Well, then that builds in some fear. Well, am I just going to hire the next person? They're going to do the same thing. How do I know even to 
who to hire that knows what they're doing because everybody says they're a marketing expert now. And um, so by the time we started kind of figuring some of that out, well, then COVID hit. Mm. And I'll be honest, I thought for sure my business was done at that point because we could not get inventory. And I was thinking, oh, gosh, you know, Home Depot, or they need something on the shelf that's going to sell, you know, in that space, the shelf real estate is incredibly valuable. Well, anyway, they, you know, I realized, of course, I wasn't the only one in that situation, right? So they can't get rid of all of their products. It was a a global problem that everybody was dealing with. So we kind of got through that season and, um, you know, of course, landed Lowe's. Well, a couple of things, right? Opened up a bit more of a marketing budget, you know, that kind of thing. And so now we're doing, even recently hired a few different folks to help with some ad buys. And I actually shot a video last night for the the new XL that's at Lowe's. And um, so, yeah, we we got kind of a a fun plan to roll out some more marketing. And I mean, I'm purchasing ads every single day, you know, as well, but it's um, Mm. pay-per-click kind of stuff. And, um, but we're also on Instagram and, you know, Twitter and LinkedIn and Facebook and all that kind of stuff. So are you able to say like, you know, when we were starting off, it would take 12 months just to sell 7,000 units. Now, because of marketing and sales and promotions, we're able to get through that and like every three months or what does that look like after 10 years? <laughs> yeah. So it's funny like that, you know, it took several years to get through 7,000 units. Oh, know? wow. Interesting. And now, mm-hmm. now we're, I mean, we, we sell probably between five and 7,000 every month and sometimes it's more, but it's, you know, of course the whatever, I'm not sure what the word is, political culture with costs rising and inflation, all this kind of stuff. My product, right, you know, controls tampering of thermostats. It's front and center because people are desperate to find ways to control costs now that the value of their own dollar is plummeted and everything is, you know, energy costs, gas and everything else is going up. Whether it's in a retail store, a restaurant or a church or whatever, if someone changes the temperature a couple of degrees over the course of a month, that can be one heck of a bill depending on the square footage. Yeah. What's kind of fascinating, even as of late, we've had record sales throughout this last summer. And I I really think that it's some marketing. There's no question around that. But I think that in general, the awareness around cost controls is front and center right now. No, it makes sense. That's so inspiring and exciting to hear. Just like like you said, God's path, you're in the right place at the right time right now. And it's just all coming together perfectly and just like being a part of that journey. So I did want to shift uh, a little bit here for about the next 20 minutes or so. Tell us more about your authenticity journey of how people can discover their own authenticity, essentially. Yeah. So Dr. Andy Garrett and I um, are kind of partnered together on rolling out his course that he finished a couple of years ago called the True North Blueprint. I like that name. You know, if you're looking at a compass, right, it's magnetic north. So if you're looking at a compass, it's kind of it's reading the magnetic fields around you. That's kind of bouncing around a little bit where true north is what? It's a fixed point. There is a true north, period. It's not magnetic north. And with a a compass, you know, you're going to get close and eventually find your destination, right? But true north is like a plumb line, you know, like when builders used to use a plumb line to build homes, right? It's a, a weight at the bottom of a string. And that string is way more accurate than a level. And it, it's, mm-hmm. it's amazing how that, that plumb line is yeah, just incredibly accurate. So with regards to you know authenticity and identity, I used to, I'll be honest, when I would hear those words in the past, I'd kind of roll my eyes like, oh, for heaven's sakes, I think I would be a bit more practical, like, go do something with your life, make yourself something, you know, just quit your introspection and 
go get a leaf blower and a lawnmower and do something, you know? And what I'm finding though, and we kind of touched on this earlier, right? The word authenticity comes from the word author. And when we realize I didn't create me and I came out of the gate hardwired, it's like, what now? Well, it's identify those things that God put in you that are just gold, the most wonderful, precious, goosebump-driven bedrock convictions that you can you can define for yourself. So, you know, Dr. Garrett has put together a course that I think is incredibly unique, and it helps people identify for themselves, right? It's not reading a book, listening to some talking head or, you know, some doctorate level, you know, so-and-so telling you what you should be thinking. He asks powerful questions so that you have the ability to answer those questions in whatever way you wish, so that you get to identify identity, those things in your life that you've, again, predetermined that are bedrock for you. It's the lens at which you see things. It's the impact that you want to have. It's your strengths. It's your core values. It's the virtues. By the way, you know, a core value and a virtue are different, right? Core values are things that are internal that I I stand upon. A virtue is outward focused. It's the impact that I want to have on someone else. And anyway, not to belabor all of that, but that process for me in the last two years has been really life-changing. And I've known my whole life, right? I'm really unique. And um, But I feel like now that I've identified those things, especially my core values, I guess I feel like I'm, I've been given permission to be more of me. And um, the question mark is gone. So when I show up in a room, not that I feel like I have to do anything, but I get to have an impact, you know, that's really unique to me. And it's different from you, right? God made you fantastically wonderful in a bunch of different ways, but he makes everybody like that. Yeah. And, you know, so not only has it changed my perception of myself, but I'm a bit more less judgmental with other people. I'm just kind of curious. A sense of curiosity ends up taking over as opposed to a sense of judgment, right? And then also when I see things in other people that I experience as gold, man, I'm going to say something too. I'm going to validate those things. And I think that's a a wonderful gift that you can give to people, right? When you see something in them that you know is really near and dear to their heart, right? It's a precious place to them. When you make a comment about that, as opposed to, hey, I like your shirt, you're touching their humanity. You're touching their soul, and validating something that they might not have even dared to believe was really true and valuable about them. And um, so I think that to validate and to honor someone's bedrock uniqueness and their core values and their virtues and the way that their virtuousness lands on you and to say something about that might be the best thing you could possibly say to somebody. It changes them. It validates the gold that's been authored, right? Authenticity in them. And it's like you're giving them permission. Man, that's when I see you do these things or you say these things, that's awesome. And throw your head back and run. Just get after it. Be more of yourself. Do those things. Say those things. When you're acting in that space, it's powerful. You have, you have a massive impact on people. My two favorite words in life, are, one is inspiration, right? Breathe life into. And impact. I just love the idea of, it sounds kind of maybe corny or whatever, but I want to have the David Osk shaped impact on somebody so that that when I choose to, right, get vulnerable with somebody and say something to them that is meaningful, 
it feels good to be me. And I walk away thinking, I wonder if I touched a place in them that caused their spirit to rise, you know, that caused their courage to rise. And I kind of hope now maybe they will never forget my name because I might have been the only one to do that in their whole life because most people don't have the courage to be that vulnerable and to tell someone of the gold that they see in them. Because honestly, if you have the courage to speak to someone's gold, that precious place in them, but they don't respond well, you know, or they laugh at you or you get rejected, that can be a really awkward moment. But again, I was, I was actually talking to Dr. Andy earlier. I don't care anymore. I don't need anything from that person, right? I am on a mission to breathe life into dead places and people. That's all there is to it. When I put my head down at night and I know that I've acted in alignment with who I know that I am and who I wanted to be because I predetermined that, right? That authentic place. If someone doesn't react in a way that I hope they would, or they even laugh in my face, it might sting for a moment. But in general, I don't care. I know the impact that I want to have. And um, can you imagine a world where everybody lived in a virtuous way, wanting to, in essence, you know, I think about in marriage, right? You and I actually had, I think, a conversation about this a while back because, you know, you've got a marriage on the horizon. Oh, yes. (laughs) And, And can you imagine what would it look like? whether it's a friendship or especially in marriage, to get the shovel out and start digging underneath that person so you can lift them up. What if Lisa and I, that was our game every single day. I'm going to serve you in such a way and lift you up in such a way that you can't even hardly believe it. Why does this guy love me that much? Well, I'm choosing to do that. I do it rather poorly sometimes. (laughs) After 20, whatever, 23 years, I'm getting better at it. And when she does that, to me, it's the definition of heaven. It's what we're all looking for. But when one person does it, right? Tim Keller says, when one person gives that 110%, but the other person doesn't, well, then it's kind of dehumanizing. But what would it look like, right, for all of us to understand who we are in our uniqueness and want to have that shaped impact on everybody around us to lift others up around us, as opposed to, I'm going to compete with you. I'm going to step on you. It's me over you. I mean, it's that's a toxic world. And we're living, you know, many days we experience that toxic place. Not all the time. I'm not going to be all the news networks talking about doom and gloom. There's way more good going on in this world than bad. And um, yeah, I love being a part of that. Yeah, no, I, I know our other mutual friend, Paul Edward, like he doesn't watch the news ever. And, uh, you know, props to him because, uh, you know, obviously if he would have been living in Florida, it would have been helpful to watch the news. But yeah. Uh, as recording this podcast, yeah, the Hurricane Ian's going on and lots of prayers to those people and the states. Definitely been better at following. There's a news source called the Good News Movement where they do provide uh, happy news to people, like you said, and, and getting into that. That's and, cool. and then uh, real quick too, tell us again the difference between core values and virtues. Like give us an example of each. Yeah. So again, this is a whole Dr. Andy thing here. So, yeah. you know, I like to ask it this way. Well, Andrew, what is your core value? What does your core value, right? Well, mm-hmm. I like, I mean, faith for me, front and center, right? God, inspiration, beauty, wisdom, impact. Those are my core mm-hmm. values. Again, there's, you know, psychologists would say in the English la- language, there might be maybe 80 to 100 possible core values. And there's some overlap with all of those, right? But what's fascinating is, is when you choose your top five or six out of those, they're going to be different from mine, right? We're unique you have a hierarchy of things that you value more than the things that I value more, right? That makes us unique. And so what's really cool about that though, is, is when we, again, stand upon those convictions 
and then hold those up you know, as a matrix to make decisions through, virtuousness, right, impact, starts being brought forth out of that. So virtue is outward focus then. What type of virtuous impact do I want to have on somebody? Well, mine, and you know me, I love to speak to places and people that are full of fear, that feel dead, that feel hurt, that feel alone, that feel wounded. I'm the one, even when I was a kid, I'm looking for the loneliest person in every room and going over there and talking to them. And um, that's, that's the way God wired me, right? Some people get up and do other things and that's great. Yeah. Does that make sense? Yeah, that makes sense. So yes, yeah, so examples of core values are like what's written behind you for those that uh, tuning in, watching the video version, God, wisdom, inspiration. And so, sorry, and tell us again one more time the, the examples of virtues though. A virtuous impact on other people, right? It's, it's mm, a, I see. so are you inspirational to people? Are you helpful? Do you give wisdom? Do you give insight? Are, do you do acts of service? Are you a good listener? Are you a, you know, how do those interactions take place and what do they look like that's unique to you? So the virtue is kind of like the verb version of the values. Yeah. Essentially. Okay. Yeah, it's, okay. It's, it's a great, uh, great way to put it. Yeah. It's the actionable part of it. Yeah. I love that. I love that. Well, we have about uh, five minutes left here. I love how one of your values is wisdom because obviously we could talk all day and you're a very wise person, David, and uh, able to help a lot of people with a lot of things. So I know we said, you know, it sounds like a non-negotiable action as an entrepreneur is to never give up. Make sure you surround yourself with the right people and, and tell us, you know, as someone who's 48 years old, who feel like he's made it. And, you know, for those who haven't met David, he has a beautiful, amazing, loving family. He has a dream home. He's able to do what he loves with music, with coaching, with having products around the whole country. I mean, even though it feels like you've made it, you still get up with passion and love every day. So tell us what does get you fired up to get out of bed each morning? What does fire you up the most nowadays? What gets you pumped up each day to like seize the day, essentially? What, what are you most excited for? What's your North Star you're, you're going for next, essentially? I get such a kick out of having an impact on people. Here, here's something else I think is kind of fascinating, though, is if you're in a position in life, and of course, there's millions, billions maybe across the world, that are just looking for their next clean cup of water, right? Or they're struggling paycheck to paycheck to pay the bills. And I've been there. You're not necessarily real concerned about having, you know, a virtuous impact and all that kind of stuff. So we need to, I want to be really careful that we're painting this picture in, in a way that's real. So I feel like I'm grateful that I'm at a place where I'm not worried about filling the tank in my car, right? And just instead of adding the $20 or something at the same time, all of this stuff can disappear in a real hurry, right? Money vanishes. Yeah. And um, I, so I think that through the journey, right, at 48 only, I, I feel like the things that I've learned that are most valuable in this world are first and foremost my family, right? And the people that are closest to me, my friends, my brothers, all that kind of stuff. That's what really matters. And I get really excited about making memories with those people. And sometimes that's playing cards. Sometimes that's a bonfire. Sometimes, you know, this really fun this summer, we got to go to Italy and Glacier National Park and back to Minnesota to see my family and some friends and that kind of thing. And really precious times on a practical level, though, I got to pay for all that stuff, too. So what am I what yeah. am I really excited about coming into 23 is I've got four more products that I'm, I'm working on right now. And I'll, I'm going to keep those a secret. But I, okay. uh, I'm really excited about, you know, launching launching products. You know, in our mastermind, I, I've got a goal by the end of next year to be selling my products in five countries. I'm not sure I'm going to hit that, but I made that goal three uh, or two years ago. And, um, you know, wouldn't that be fun? You know, why not? Yeah. 
I'm not looking to buy a bunch of crap. I'm hoping to have some fun experiences with my family and friends and maybe pay my house off early or something like that. But I, I don't know. I want to do things that are inspiring. And to me, you know, when I'm old and I look back and I'm like, you know what? You got to sell a thermostat cover in five countries. That would be fun to just have that experience. Yeah. And I'd love to go to Norway and to England and to France and Germany and walk into a hardware store and see the stat guard plus. That would be really cool. Yeah. Bonjour. Bienvenidos. And (laughs) welcome in. (laughs) Yep. That would be awesome. Oh, I love it. Well, as we close up here, David, how can people get a hold of you? How can they contact you? How can they reach you and uh, be part of your wisdom, essentially? Man, thank you. I, you know, first I would just visit davidosk.com and you can see all the different things that I've got irons in the fire. I think I even have that language on the website. Uh, of course, statguardplus.com is, you know, my, my product, but there's a link on davidosk.com too. So I just want to say one of my core values is to offer help with no strings attached. And I really mean that. I don't care if you, what you need personally or professionally, reach out to me. My cell phone is on my website. Let me know. I'll do my best. I love that. Thank you for saying that. And then uh, final thing is what's one takeaway. I know you said so many different things, but what's one takeaway you want someone to take away from this interview? Oh gosh. Um, You know, I believe that everybody, I think deep down understands that what God has put in you is marvelous. And I would encourage you to dare to believe that and act out of that space. Get the shovel out in your own life and start mining for gold. Get a vocabulary that describes the best parts of you. You know, the things that give you goosebumps, goosebumps. Let yourself go there. If you need help, right? Yeah, call me. But I would encourage you to get the shovel out and dare to believe that what God has put in you is awesome. I love that. Ladies and gentlemen, David Ost, thank you again for coming on today. This has been a spectacular interview. I'm just like fulfilled, inspired, motivated, pumped up, and definitely reach out to David. And uh, thank you all for listening in. We'll see you all next week on Rapid Results. Take care, y'all. Cheers. Thanks, that concludes another episode of Rapid Results. Remember to leave a review about something you learned so others can share the knowledge. Keep being unstoppable in your pursuit of the lifestyle freedom you desire. And we'll see you next week.